Hello fellow time travelers, Tony Whit here. It is Saturday, October 26th. It is 10.13 p.m. And I started editing this episode right around 1.30 p.m. today. So you have an idea of just why I sound as so tired as I do. Here's what happened. I was editing the episode and it sounded like it was coming together quite nicely. I was only having to, you know, amplify certain people's voices so you could hear them. <clears throat> and also lowering the volume on other people's voices. And for some God only knows reason, halfway through the recording, we started getting a buzzing sound that was coming out of nowhere. And there was no way to fix except using a high pass filter. The only problem with the high pass filter setting is that it deletes sounds at a particular decibel threshold. And that particular sound was so loud that it also managed to wipe out some of the recording of some of our, shall we say, quieter panelists, so that it was necessary to amplify their contributions even further. Then I began to run out of disk space on my laptop, and I attempted to move all of my files to another hard drive and somehow managed to damage the original files so that we lost part of the main stereo track, which was our actual discussion. So I had to drop that to mono, which made it even harder to amplify certain things. And so towards the last 15 minutes or so of the episode, I just kind of clicked along and amplified where I saw the waveforms needing amplification and did the absolute minimum that I could do because I was just sick of it. So I apologize. The quality is not going to be good. It's going to be bad. It's going to be ugly at times. And I apologize. All we can say is we'll do better. And that as a special Halloween treat, you'll be getting the formerly Patreon-only discussion that we did of the novelization of Mission to the Unknown. So you're getting that, right? Yeah. Anyway, enjoy, if you can. And thank you. Hello, I am Larry Van Mersbergen, the host of the Doctor Who Collectors Podcast. Now that you're reading the Doctor Who Target books in story order and enjoying the thorough discussion of them, maybe you'd like to collect them, or even collect the hardcover editions, or maybe the Pinnacle American editions. For all things in the world of Doctor Who merchandise, from books to the Dalek weather vanes and Dalek cufflinks to the really unusual. Tune in to the Doctor Who Collectors Podcast, available on Apple Podcasts and Podbean. You are listening to the Doctor Who Target Book Club Podcast. Enjoy your travels. Hello, fellow time travellers. I'm Wendy Padbury, and you're listening to the Doctor Who Target Book Club podcast. Enjoy your travels. Oh my God! I'm sorry. I've still got a, a torrent running. Let's let's turn that off, shall we? <laughs> yeah, because that's just bad.
Slow the computer down. Well, not only slow the computer down, but if it should start playing in the middle of the episode, we're going to get fucking porn playing throughout the... I'd hope it would be fucking porn as opposed to <laughs> some other kind of porn. People use the term but... so colloquially now. It's like, ooh, food porn. Yeah, yeah. exactly. Porn. No, no, it's no. It's actual porn. It's like sex porn. It's, it's like, like it's, no one's read. It's like sex I'm man. like a, an al- a chocoholic, but for booze. It's like sex, but not. <laughs> All right. Let's do this. Let's do this. Hello, fellow time travelers, and welcome back to the Doctor Who Target Book Club, the podcast in which we undertake the evolving task of discussing in story order all the Doctor Who novelizations. My name is Tony Witt, and today we have an always-evolving three-person discussion panel, including our so-called expert who's been a Who fan since 1979. That would be me. There's also our expert... Oh, shit. There's also our intermediate... I, I've evolved, and oh, I didn't even use a thunderstorm. I've been doing this for 60 episodes, and you think I'd be able to do it right for once. There's also our intermediate-level casual fan who's seen several episodes but has not previously read any of the books until these podcasts, and this time it's the sometimes-worthy Dalton Hughes. Hello, Dalton. Sometimes. Sometimes. I'll, 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 I'll take that. It's okay. Oh, good. Hello. Well, you better take it, <laughs> and you're going to like it. And finally, we also have our semi-casual fan, one who's seen little to none of the original series and has not previously read any of the books except for the ones we've done for this podcast. And this time around, it's the wise and witty Alison Fitch Seyfried. Hello, Alison. We make, in the words of Terrence Dix, a colorful and barbaric trio. <laughs> yes, we do indeed. So much color and so much barbarity. Before we get to talking about the book, let's talk briefly about our Patreon page, shall we? <laughs> it's at patreon.com forward slash DWTargetBC. Depending on the amount you give per month, you receive, among other possible goodies, a randomly chosen BBC book, not a Target book. Since we know you have so many of these, that you give them to the mutts as food, just to say thank you for being willing to help us stay on the virtual air. Those are getting harder to come up with. Mm. And as usual, we'd like to thank our regular patrons, Bart Lammy, Rick Taylor, Toby Bengelsdorf, and Jay Barry. We also have a new patron, and it is our friend Larry. The Doctor Who Collectors Podcast is supporting us. For princely sum of whatever. And we're glad of the support. Thank you, Larry. Thank you. As Thank you to your, everyone. As soon as your check clears, we'll be putting your name on that list, too. <laughs> so, we also have our Goodreads discussion group where you, the listener, can discuss upcoming books and previous podcasts. You can find them there at tinyurl.com forward slash Y7KMASPR. In fact, we expect you to. All right. We continue now with our discussion of the penultimate story of Season 9, The Mutants. Without further ado, here are some fast facts. Doctor Who and the Mutants, adapted by Terrence Dix from the script by Bob Baker and Dave Martin, with aired from 4872 to 51372, published by Target Books in September 1977. As of this recording in October 2019, this title is currently out of print, but is available as an unabridged audiobook, 127 pages. Sadly... The Mutants is not one of the most highly regarded stories of the Pertwee run. I hate to surprise you with this. I do. But it's surprising given who wrote it. This was Bob Baker and Dave Martin's second script for the series, the first being Claws of Axos. 
in the previous season, and you can definitely see some recurring themes, the wages of greed, the tendency of scientists to forget humanity in terms of their own scientific pursuits. The oil refinery crabs? Uh, no. Sorry. Yeah. Yeah. Clause of Axos is going to be Axonite. Oh, sorry. Axonite. Oh, those. Yes, those claws. Axonite. Um, with the golden people. Uh-huh. Oh, yes. Yeah, that one. Oh, yeah. <clears throat> okay. There are some recurring golden people. Yeah, especially his uh, thing about, you know. Transfiguration. Yeah. Well, no, 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 no. I was thinking about bureaucrats, but you're right. Transfiguration uh-huh. is there, too. That's very good. For this story in particular, though, you will see a very definite anti-racist message, as the situation in this book mirrors many aspects of that in South Africa at that time, even down to some of the character names, such as Sondergaard. Mm. That's that's definitely an Afrikaans mm. name, if I've ever heard one. Unlike the Earth Empire in Solos, though, apartheid was still alive and well in 1972, leading to on-screen touches such as the overlords and the Salonians having separate transporter booths, which is not mentioned in the novelization. Terrence Dix also made sure that the derogatory term mutts was changed from the actual derogatory term months that the South African whites used to refer to hmm. the black population. I had not heard that term. That was originally in the script. And he was like, um, you know what? <laughs> so that was on TV. They, they called them months. No, they called them months. It was in the original script. In the original script. Okay, Because gotcha. Bob Baker and Dave Martin wanted to make it not just an allegory, but <laughs> as, super as clear. As overt as possible. As overt as possible. <laughs> and Terrence Dix was a little less. Yeah, let's do that. It's like, everyone's going to get it. Let's not go there. (laughs) Exactly. Exactly. There are a few things to note about the televised version. For one thing, the director, Christopher Barry, did not like the political overtones of the story and wanted to focus more on the sci-fi elements instead, much to the dismay of the writers and the production team. He did, however, take the unusual move of hiring a black actor, Rick James, no relation to the other black James. Cocaine is a hell of a drug. Cocaine is a hell of a drug. (laughs) Yeah. For the part of Cotton. Which is just hilarious. A mm. black actor playing someone named Cotton. It's a little bit on the nose. <sighs> Location work led Katie Manning to twist the same ankle she'd hurt during Terror of the Autons yet again. I'm still wanting to ask her about that at a Chicago TARDIS. And finally, the televised episode has a striking opening shot of a mutating old man stumbling towards the camera, who even John Pertwee himself likened to the It's Man at the beginning of uh, Monty Python's Flying Circus. <laughs> it's Monty Python's Flying Circus. It really has that look to it. <laughs> so funny. That's good. Yeah. Apart from that. The most noteworthy thing about this, the TV story is that it is, is specifically mentioned in Salman Rushdie's The Satanic Verses. I kid you not. Say that one more time. It is mentioned in Salman Rushdie's The Satanic Verses by name. This episode. Is. This story. Wow. Amazing. Yeah. So what, what did they say about it? Well, the way it's mentioned, with the main character flipping through the channels and catching the mutts on Doctor Who has left some fans thinking it implies that the show's characterization of mutations as evil just because they look different from human beings encourages racist attitudes. And thus, Rushdie missed the point of the story, but it's actually a misinterpretation of what he's saying at that point in the book, and what he's actually attacking is the treatment of the mutants themselves. Mm. And as themes go, the mutants actually fits very nicely into the overall themes of the Satanic Verses, and when we read it in uh, grad school... 
and I was able to read it as part of this uh, literary interpretation class, I was so happy to be able to explain the Doctor Who reference and mm-hmm. bring in a clip of the mutants Very and good. say, this is what he's talking about. As for the novelization itself, it's possibly noteworthy that Dix is able to condense six episodes of story into 122 pages. Probably because there's just so much goddamn running around happening. It's a very condensed version without feeling condensed. It also happens to be the only novelization produced by Target to have this going on. Doctor Who and the Mutants. Yes, but it's D.R. Who and the Mutants. Der Who. Drew. Yeah, that never happens again. Hmm. Just this Instead of spelling out the whole word. Instead of spelling out the whole word on the spine, it is D.R. Who Hmm. and the Mutants. <clears throat> yeah. Professor Who and exactly. the Mutants and the Mutants so let's get a back cover reading of this one Um, who wants to read it do you want me to read it okay I'll read it it's been a while since I've read one of these right, so I'll, I'll don't take, make us twist your arm I'll, I'll take that bullet <clears throat> a massive shape scuttles out of the darkness and strikes the earth overlord down it is a mutant a huge insectoid creature. It moves in a crouch, its back arched and scaly, with huge knobbly vertebrae. The controlling overlord, the marshal, has ordered all such mutants killed instantly. What was happening to the people of Solos? Why are they gradually turning into monsters with a capital M? Hands that become claws, flesh that turns scale-like, people electing Donald Trump as president... God, when Doctor Who, all caps, meets the Marshal and Jaeger, he realizes that all is not as it appears to be. The Marshal has a sinister plan to gain control of this planet, and Doctor Who must save Solos from this mad Earthman, as well as save the Slonians themselves. Doctor Who scripts awarded the Writers Guild Award for the best British children's original drama script. Yes, here is the book, such as it is. Drew and the Mutants. So, first impressions. Dalton, I feel like we don't ask you first impressions. You don't ask first me first? I always get second impressions. Yes, you um, get second impressions. I, I quite enjoyed this book. I could see why people wouldn't like it, but I I did like it. I thought it was, despite the back and forth mm-hmm. from, from space to space station to, to planet, I, I feel like there was enough going on to keep it interesting. Mm-hmm. Uh, there was a lot of death. Yeah, <laughs> there was a lot of a lot, uh, of, a lot of death going on. But uh, I feel like we did get to see some of the characters kind of grow throughout the book, and it, I feel like it still applies today. Hmm. I feel like there's a lot of this that kind of, as you stated in your notes, the 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 oh. marshal very much is kind of a parallel to our current Führer. So, um, yeah, <laughs> bad, but, sad. <laughs> yeah, he's got small hands, but uh, he's a Spitfire. Um, <laughs> no, I I enjoyed this book though. I I feel like if I see the episodes, I might be disappointed after reading. Oh God, will the book. ever be? Um, and it was nice to see Terrence Dix kind of give a shit again. And yeah, if this was a six-parter and he was able to kind of whittle it down, it was kind of hard to tell. Hmm. There, it felt pretty pretty full. Okay. For being whittled down. Hmm. So all right, I'm actually surprised by that. Yeah. Allison, your first impression? I feel like this is uh, some of his more representative 
good work hmm. with some of it's pretty representative of some of his weaknesses as well okay so we start off with you know this great little scene setting paragraph it's really only two or three sentences he has serious themes and good humor sprinkled throughout but a lot of personality wise interchangeable functionaries and the mm. plot as well mm-hmm. um but he's really interested in the theme as opposed to just phoning it in so i, I thought it had a lot of best and worst of in here actually not really the worst just some hmm. of some of the best of his work okay um, as for me, just so you know, this was, I believe to this day, the second Doctor Who novelization I ever got. So it was really exciting to read a story that I had not seen. Oh. And Dalton, you have no idea the disappointment you run for if ever you see this episode. Because <laughs> I mean, oh my Lord, the picture of the creature on the front is enough to tell me. It's really great, though. In fact, that, that creature design is so good that they bring that creature design back for a Tom Baker episode. It, the googly eyes just... Oh, yeah. That, that's what's throwing They all have googly eyes. I know. Tom but... Baker has googly eyes. Oh. <laughs> still, still does, in fact. This was the book that taught me the word conscientious. Mm-hmm. Yep. At the very end, Cotton, always now conscientious in his new duties. And I was like, I had to ask my sister what conscientious meant. So that's a nice memory. Mm. So yeah. Oh. That being said, that birth tells you what's coming. It wasn't very conscientious of you. It was not. Because Ecthesium. Yeah. <laughs> Jesus Lord. Let's get into discussing this thing, shall we? Alright. What where do we want to start? Why are they called Salonians instead of Solosians? Solosians? Why were they called Because the planet's <gasps> Solos. Oh, <laughs> Oh my god. The whole time I was reading it, I kept thinking that. Why are they Salonians? Oh my this god. Why is it an end? And this is like a legitimate question because it might be one of those weird rules of English that maybe I don't know because I don't care. But <laughs> it also was just like a murder getting under my skin. I, I, Alright, I'm going to give you the linguistic answer and then I'm going to give you the guess. And the linguistic answer is even a guess. I think it's because when we talk about people being from a certain place, we generally try not to repeat a consonant. So Salusians is actually kind of difficult to say, whereas Salonians is Mm. easier. There was also, if I remember correctly, a Greek philosopher named Solon. And in fact, later on, we get a character named Solon. So, Uh and oh my goodness, believe it or not, I am. Uh, What happens is I told you that there's a story that they bring back this design for. Uh It's Brain of Morbius and the doctor, the other doctor in it is Solon. So it's like, oh, that's interesting, but it has nothing to do with any of this. So I think that's the linguistic answer. Now, Doctor Who has always been particularly bad about giving group names so, for instance, you would think that the people of Mondas would be called Mondasians. Yes. They're called Mondarians. Talusians. That makes sense. But it's T and an S. Yeah. So, yeah. I'm sorry. It, no, that's it, a very it good just, question. It was just a nitpicky little stupid thing that came up. But, but that's also, like, on the back cover where they... They say they're insectoid, but various times throughout the book, they describe them as reptilian. Yeah. And it's like, well, what are they? Yeah. Yeah. Are they both? They're never clear (laughs) about it, are they? Yeah. They're never clear about exactly what's happened. I think what's happening is that there's some sort of, I think it's called metataxis. Okay. And it's it's when a species undergoes 
extreme and fast evolution mm. to deal with a, a change in the environment. Okay. Um, and I don't even know whether that's actually based in science or whether it's theoretical. But the idea is that they evolve every 500 years because of these seasons that are 500 years long. And we got to go into that, too, because that's just science turned on its ear. And whatever the Marshall's done to the planet's air has caused them to kind of devolve a bit. So they're devolving back into an insectoid form, into an alligator form. Or they're evolving forward like Janeway and Paris do in that episode of Voyager that no one talks about where they made the space worms babies. Oh, you had to go and remind us <laughs> you went there. I did indeed. It's called Threshold, by the way, if ever you want to watch it. Bring it in close. Yes. You're welcome. You do not want to watch it. You will not thank me later. You will thank me. You will. You will. Anyway. Halloween episode, everyone. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. We are so. recording in October, and we're doing the Halloween episode right after this. By the way, I need to mention that. Um, our Halloween episode this year is Patreons only, and since there are only like six Patreons, we'd like you to hear this episode. So, you know, go and give money. Anyway. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, two oh, two weird sorry. little nitpicky things I thought. Well, two of the other one was: Are they mutating or are they evolving? Which we you kind of just I think touched on a little. Bit. I think it's a form of evolution. I think it's yeah. metataxis. Um, because it's too fast to be anything else. And they're yeah. mistaking it for mutation caused by essentially pollution, a manufactured yes. pollution. Yeah. but it actually manufactured pollution. Affecting a natural that's mutation, exactly, yeah. but right. the thing that's different is they are presenting it as cyclical, yeah, as opposed to just being more of a straight line. Exactly, and for some reason, you need this crystal to bring it about, which is another weird thing. I guess everybody goes to the cave. Everyone from the entire planet goes to the cave and bathes in the light of the crystal, and then becomes you know super Kai. Or whatever his name is. <laughs> Whoever wrote this uh, sold amethyst on the side. <laughs> yes. Expose yourself to this. It's very helpful. Well, these mm. same authors are going to give us the Doctor Who version of um, Fantastic Voyage. So, yeah, their science is a bit out there. Eh, it was the 70s. Yeah, it so, was. Oh, yeah. New Absolutely. Age medicine and all that kind of. Yeah, I guess so. Let's back up a little bit. Let's do. To the context of the Time Lords send a literal black box. <laughs> <laughs> yes. so I'm trying to remember the last time they sent the doctor somewhere. There wasn't an object, but no. are they doing social work now? <laughs> They're sending him on deployments. What What's their game? That's a good question, because the Master is nowhere around us. No. It's more altruistic than... They have been shown to be in Pertwee stories. Yes. And I'm, they don't usually send him to just go do good in the universe. You, normally more self-preservation. Now that's interesting because I, I've never thought of that. You're absolutely right because the Time Lords are all about non-intervention. Yeah, don't fuck with anything whether mm -hmm. you're helping or hurting. Just yeah. don't. Except they've now sent him on a mission to Peladon. But that's because, what I'm trying to remember, what they want yeah. him to do there. Yeah, I think it's just make sure Paladon gets into the Federation, though that could be something that affects the general timeline. It could very well be that the Salonians, as, Salonians, Salonians, as powerful as they become, might be a force for good in the universe somewhere. But yeah, this ugh. whenever the Time Lords send the Doctor on missions later, it's always shown that it's kind of a branch of Time Lord Society, 
It's more like the CIA. In fact, it's called the CIA. It's the Celestial Intervention Agency. Robert Holmes making a joke about politics at that time. That's good. And they do the same thing that the CIA does, which is, you know, take down puppet regimes and stuff like that using Time Lords as their agents. That could be what's going on here. But they just start doing it. Yeah. A couple of stories ago. Yeah. And I think they're doing it, one, because they realize the Doctor is just too good an asset not to keep. Mm. Also, if we're going to back to the season 6B theory, he used to be an asset for them. And then they decided, oh, we're going to send him to Earth. Oh, you know what? We probably should have kept him in service because he's really useful in that regard. Which probably explains what's what's coming. going to happen. Yes, in just two stories. That's all I'm going to say. Season 10 premiere? Yep, season 10 premiere. Exactly right. You know what's coming. You'd better be a Chicago TARDIS. I swear to God. We've been trying to get you to come with us every year. And this is like the third year going. and I'm going to get a big room. And everything. I'm actually a figment of everyone's imagination. I'm not. not a real person. He is not. not I have touched really him. Believe here. me. He is. Well, unless my eyes deceive me. Yes. Um, no, I'll be in town. So I will. You better. I will do what I can to. Okay. Okay. Well, Man, that was really weak sauce. I was about to say, let me know something. Buy the damn ticket. Jesus Christ. <laughs> so, okay. Um, yeah, so we've got this, and Allison, you were going back to talking about it being cyclical, and that brings up a question for me. With the actual story, not with the novelization, I know we do this a lot, but it's something that Dix probably could have explained and doesn't. Yeah. If the cycle is only... 500 years. Does that mean that Salonian society is the reason why they're so barbaric is because they only get about 500 years at each civilization and then it gets ground under and then brought back sort of like the civilization in Nightfall by uh, Isaac Asimov. Do you two know that story? I do not. Oh my god, I thought you did. I'm usually the one that doesn't get the references. Oh, that sounds God. familiar. It is so great. Nightfall is about a planet where I think it has something like six stars, and they're basically rotating around the planet, but that once every, say, 5,000 years or something, all of the suns are eclipsed at the same time, mm-hmm. and it's the only time that the planet is ever in darkness, total darkness. They don't know the concept of night. They basically have light all on all the time to the point where they're all they're all incredibly claustrophobic. They can't even go down in the caves because it's too dark. Yeah. But they know that five thousand years ago, last time this eclipse happened, there was a great cataclysm. There was a civilization before theirs that was advanced that left records, kind of like in a Bible-type thing. And the biblical records since then have talked about this great cataclysm destroying civilization and how they built themselves back up. And the scientists are ready to watch this eclipse happen. The religious factions are terrified of it happening because it's going to be the end of everything. And sure enough, they're right, because the story ends with everybody, everybody, going insane. Hmm. Because they're not used to the dark. So they go insane and they basically burn everything in every city just so they can have light. Hmm. And it destroys their entire civilization. How long is the night? Um, It lasts, oh gosh, 
I think they said it lasts about 12 hours. Just enough to really just do a whack-a-mole on their entire yeah. planet. Hmm. And they stay insane, obviously. That generation of people would stay insane. Probably the children, too. So, God. It's, it's going to be barbaric for a good 100, 150 yeah. years. And I guess start. that's how mental health works. Probably not. But I, yeah. it's, but I've never well, observed. Well, it's Asimov, and I, I I trust his science and psychology more than I you know trust this. Yeah. Five hundred years. Why is it that the Time Lords have the records of this thing, and it's in the cave, but they don't remember just five hundred years ago? We can remember five hundred years ago yeah. with some accuracy. But yeah, also how how was their evolution? How was their cycle figured? Because if if the end of their cycle is them becoming these kind of celestial beings that are all powerful, mm-hmm. how does it come back to them being these like savage quote unquote natives that yeah. they currently are that start the mutation or the evolution again? I don't think it's so much that they evolve into barbarians. I think it's more that they evolve into humanoids and humanoid society in about 500 years will probably get yeah. just about as far as, I don't know if they're if they're that if they have any sort of advancement at all. It might be that they get to Bronze Age level or something like that. Or if if they are, as the back cover says, insectoid. If it's you know like butterflies, where they oh. they you know lay their larva, and then the celestial beings go away, and then all that's left <laughs> is these Hustelosian oh. babies that don't know shit. Oh. That then have to create new civilization, so there is no good way to think, have a history of it. Okay, I think the writer's picking five hundred years um, to coincide with the decolonization and the transformation of the British Empire into the Commonwealth mm. after about five hundred years, because we go from like nineteen fifty-five to sixty-eight is mm. almost a complete dissolution yes. of the British Empire into the Commonwealth mm. and basically with the British Virgin Islands and a couple of other small locations. Mm-hmm. So you're talking about South Africa. So this is decolonization, yes. but. The, the common, well, there, there are several ways to colonize, but it's common to have a, a home office. Mm-hmm. And then there are people you send to govern from the home office, and then there are lower social class people you send to colonize and have a much bigger stake mm-hmm. in the colonial area. Okay. Um, to go there for a better life. Yeah. So when the colonial powers that be, when the Home Office decides to pull out, mm-hmm. the people who have settled there don't want that. Yeah. And they don't want to go to home rule of the indigenous people, but they often were chafing under the colonial government as well. Sure. They want, well, something more like the American Revolution, but that's a different situation because the mm-hmm. Home Office was making the choice to pull out right, at right. that time. A little different dynamic, but sure. that's, that's sort of yeah. the overall. Mm-hmm. We have this you know, sort of the, the term Scots-Irish, which is an ethnic group that only exists in the southeastern United yes. States. Now that Scotland and Ireland, the idea of a True. group of people spent to basically colonize Ireland as settlers mm-hmm. and populate. Yes. And were asked to move on and simply mm-hmm. so. Um, more complex dynamics in South Africa with English colonists 
and the Afrikaners and conflict as well. Mm-hmm. But I I was actually thinking more of Rhodesia, but I I, I missed the the blatant two by four of South Africa yeah. in here. <laughs> um, yeah, well, to give Guyana, little, and I was it's so clever, and no, yeah, it's, I, it's a, much more obvious than that. It's a little too subtle for Rhodesia, which is a sentence I never thought I'd ever say in my life. But, subtle for Rhodesia, the new EP. <laughs> a, an essential part of colonialism is often trying to replace the native culture and religion's main elements Mm -hmm. with the colonial elements to the point where whether it's the goal or not, you effectively sever a lot of the population from the long-term collective memory of its culture and history. Okay. Remember that uh, mid-90s Sinead O'Connor spoken word piece called Famine? Oh, where she no, talks about she she talks about something like you know we're taught about the famine, but there was no famine. And her entire thesis is that Ireland has been alienated oh. from its pre-Christian culture, right. and the Protestants alienated the Catholic from the Catholic culture, but Catholicism had already alienated mm-hmm. um, that makes the Irish from the concept of the Mother Goddess and, and, and all of that. All the uh, myths of the Celtics. I think that's the concept yeah. that they're going with, with the black box being full of documents. Hmm. That it's reintroducing mm. their history and something that's different and unusual about their physiology. Mm-hmm. It's just the cyclical nature of it kind of confuses me a bit. Yeah. But I, I think, think that's what they're going for. Is this you know this this mm-hmm. massive era of decolonization has just happened? Yeah, except it's not colonization in the same sense. It really is. It really is more a case of empire and going in and stripping the land of its riches yeah. and such because there are no earth settlers. The, yet there are no earth settlers. True, because the, yet. that's true. The marshal that's what the marshal wants. Yeah. So the Home Office just wants to go in, get the resources. Mm. That's about what the colonial empires wants. Go in, get the resources, the trade routes, etc. And it's gotten too much for Where they've either exhausted the resources or mm. spent all their money fighting World War II or similar. Right. It's no longer profitable, no longer pragmatic, no longer possible to hold. Right. Then the Home Office wants to pull out, but the people that they have brought in to settle, to govern, to colonize, like I said, often people who uh, actually love this uh, line that I can't quote properly from the Venom movie. Uh Eddie, back home, I'm considered, I'm what you call a loser. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. You have people who are very invested in coming to a place where they are automatically the ruling class and don't want to lose that. So, that's what I thought was interesting, is hmm. that the marshal does want humans to live here. He does. To rule here. Yeah. And the Home Office under is not his interested. Thought. Under his, yeah, right. under his right. rule. Yeah, right. under a very specifically right. autocratic, coming up from the ranks, coming up from base stupidity type of yeah. thing, you know, without getting a loan from daddy or anything. And we have the idea of the Home Office often seems less violent and brutal under these circumstances, but they set the whole situation up. Like when yeah. people speculate, well, Andrew Jackson probably saved the Cherokee with the Trail of Tears because oh. otherwise they would have been killed by the American settlers. Like, well, huh. who set up that situation to yeah, begin with? Exactly. I'm greatly simplifying here, but the there's often a sort of uh, performative pearl clutching yeah. on the part of the highest echelons of government that 
they know what they created. Yeah. They know who they sent. And I think that's what's happening yeah. here. The Earth Empire comes in and says, we're going to give them independence. We've Aren't we generous? Well, we're it's not so a matter free. of generosity. Yes. It's no, more they like can't afford to stay. they can't afford to stay. And I love that sequence where Dix makes it clear what's happening on screen. He says that the irony of the situation is that if either side had just calmed down for long enough, yeah. they would have heard exactly what they wanted to hear from the other side. Yeah, that was poignant. Yeah, extremely poignant. And it comes just before the whole thing goes to shit. Yeah. Which well, the they're, the they're pulling out after they've already gone in and stripped everything anyway. It's yeah. like, eh, we're finished here. I guess they can be independent. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And yet, there's some idea that whatever this process is that they go through, it's still not completely destroyed by what they've done. No. Otherwise, the Doctor wouldn't be able to reverse it. So, yeah. Going back to... Uh... English colonialism specifically was generally uh, led by a an, a governmentally authorized commercial venture. I'm thinking mm-hmm. of, the, of the Hudson Bay Company, the East, East India, India Company. Company yeah. um, I, I read a passage here. In this case, here. the Dutch, for sure. Well, mm-hmm. here, here, I read this and, and thought of that. Uh, Jager stood poised behind a map of Solos, a pointer in his hand, and said, so You see, Doctor, I plan to bombard the atmosphere of Solos with ionization rockets. God, they're being colonized by the sharper image. <laughs> <laughs> it's lame, but it amused me. <laughs> uh, no, it, it works for me. I kept thinking about those Jaeger bombs. Mm. <laughs> oh, <laughs> rockets, rockets. No, it's oh, fine. They just up in the atmosphere. There we go. Wow. It's just the, very it's licorice Jaeger shooting rockets, so they're Jaeger shots. They can breathe very well. It's so humid, all the Jaeger in the atmosphere. <laughs> Except Jaeger seems to be just kind of incompetent very. himself. And oh, God, we, yeah. But I, I liked that as the joke, that he's here because he was caught plagiarizing someone else's work. Yes, I yeah. actually did like the idea that he's a great scientist in his own life. Once again, back home, he's considered something right. of a loser. Yeah, yes, exactly. Yeah. But here, he's an important scientist. Yes, and riding on the doctor's coattails, the same yeah. way that that one scientist in Claws of Axos is like, well, I want to take, I want to take charge of this. Yeah, you know, take credit for it all. Which made me wonder too if. The, the mutation had been started because of something he screwed up in the first place. It sounds like it. It sounds very much like it because we hear about the Marshall's experiments and how huh, those experiments are happening because somehow the atmosphere is poisonous for Earthers to breathe after sun. sun yeah, down. so it's, something is happening in the daytime. Some sort of marsh gas release that happens when the, it cools down. So that sounds well, that sounds like spring weather to some degree. That in the daytime it's relatively warm, sometimes even hot, but at night it gets cool enough that we get that heat emanating from the um, yeah. sidewalk. Yeah, it seems like it's some sort of... the gastroenterologist Yeah, yeah, it seems yeah, like a swamp gas release. Thanks for the swamp gas release, dude. Whew. Talk about silent and deadly. Mm. Yes, and it is deadly to the humans, yeah. which is why they have to have those ox- oxygenators even during the daytime. So it sounds like something he screwed up, and screwed up badly enough that they need them during the daytime as well as nighttime. Yeah. What Hartnell-era story involved a planet that rotates in a figure eight around two different stars. Oh, that's Galaxy 4. That's what this reminded <laughs> me of. It. Well, yes, the one that my dream, I thought it was the one maybe where they found Vicky. Uh, no? Oh, wait. You know it might be? I thought they found oh, her on a planet that 
I think you had right. a lot of ruins on it. Oh, that's right, because it keeps ro- rotating too close to the sun, and they have to rebuild. And don't they also have underground insect people yes, who adapt? They do. That's the story this mm, reminded me of. Thinking of that, yeah, that's right. It, Good it, try, it, Yeah, not, not the, the not the televised story of the rescue, which is much less interesting, but Nigel Robinson's. Really excellent. I thought they also had like a two thousand year long cycle. It was one of the first ones I read. That's right. That's right. And I was getting excited because if it was William Adams, he of course wrote the Halloween thing. But they also had a centuries long cycle of seasons. Yes. Yeah. Exactly. Exactly. And and you're right. But they uh, kept whatever form they had in the book. I believe they didn't evolve to anything else. Whereas here, ah, yeah, it's all about evolution. That. The, this is the thing that drives me nuts about the story. Scientifically, it's fascinating. And in terms of just politics, I'm always on board for politics. But the Marshall, both on television and in the book, is so broadly drawn. I, I'm i glad that Dix did tell us he came up from the ranks and was a lowly corporal or something. Yeah. Because I would not have, I probably could have guessed that though. I'm, I'm wishing this were an earlier Dick's novel where he would have given us this whole backstory of the Marshal and explained why he acts the way he does. Yeah, or if him coming up through the ranks is all a lie, yeah. too. It could be. It does work in the context of a commentary on colonialism that you have these incredibly brutal, basically genocidal figures who could never get away with that sort of behavior at all. True. They have to go somewhere else and uh, find an official state sanction for their psychopathic ways. Yes, like so, IMF. Well, mm. so, so that they the International Monetary Fund. What? No, 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 no. no, no. <laughs> no remember the the mining corporation. Oh yes, yes, yes. There, there you from go. Those are colonies. Well, where these people are are very useful to a colonial power. They can be deployed to bring whatever individual town or area or ethnic group into subjugation, and then they can be uh, reprimanded and fired if they get so brutal that it's embarrassing. Yes, and I just right. kind There's of... There's no way they don't know he's out there hunting people. No, no bad PR. Because, yeah. Well, he yeah. controls information in and out. Didn't they say something about somebody getting killed because they tried to well, get information? Well, he said... Well, in Sondergaard... Oh, another one who died of natural causes, yeah. but I think that... The implication yeah. is that's an, a very convenient report for them to read and accept. Exactly. Well, and the whole and reason Sondergaard went into hiding is right. because he was trying to kind of tell yes. on them, and that's his true. information was intercepted. So it's like, oh, I don't want to get killed, so let me go hide. Yeah, something that I just, I this just hit this beer just hit me. No. Um, this idea just hit me. Not, if you look at a ballpark where they pour it into a plastic cup so you can't help the players with yeah, beers. exactly. Well, here you go. This feels like a plagiarized version of the Doomsday Weapon. I have no memory for titles, so you'll have okay. to remind me. Doomsday Weapon, IMF, that mining uh, oh, yes. company. The colony, they're trying to drive them away. Once again, very heavy-handed social commentary, which I love. But it's written by, uh, the book, of course, is written by Malcolm Polk, so it's a little more palatable and a little more interesting than this. And it has to do with colonists rather than empire. But you still have this idea of a native race that's misunderstood, Mm -hmm. much much more advanced than they appear to be. And there's something there that's allowing them to be that advanced, even though it's also keeping holding them back. And also colonists, but there the colonists are put upon and the yes. heroes and really are just trying to start a life and not trying 
to wipe out any existing people. No, they're exactly. trying to coexist. Yeah, exactly. So it's like, oh, okay, this that's why the master's not in this. Because there's nothing to interest the master in this. Whereas it might interest the Time Lords because, again, they might look at it and say, you know your favorite people, the, the Earthers? Hello, Doctor, can you go in and stop them from being themselves for two seconds right. because they need to let the Salonians alone? This Sorry, is Salonians. exactly like the kind of thing the Time Lords let happen all the time and do not twitch an eyelash at. Which it's st- not convinced that they suddenly yeah. are big-hearted. No, no, this isn't altruistic. This has to be for something, but we're not told what. No. Of course... I actually expected a twist like that at the end, and that it would be something incredibly self-serving on the part of Time Lords. Yeah, and something that Terrence Sticks could have put in, but doesn't. In fact, it's kind of weird, really. He, um, When he's describing why the Doctor is on Earth, he has Joe think that he's there for some unknown offense. Yeah. It's like, we know what he did. She, she knows what he did. Does she? Did. Yeah. Yeah. She knows that he was exiled to Earth by the Time Lords. They've said it often. By this point, she should should, know. But no. Anyway, I'm... It's interesting you bring up Holt because one of the strengths of the Doomsday Weapon was that his one-shot characters of that story were so incredibly well-drawn relative to the length of that book. Yes. And this is uh, Dick's standard deck of cards. If you will, yeah, we you know, the king, the queen, the jackass, etc. Mm-hmm. Um, the uh, the he likes to have a very evil functionary, mm-hmm. uh, a toady or two, some put upon, well-meaning people who go along with the evil people for a while and then yeah. help the doctor. And you have to flip back and forth to see which names associated with which characteristic. And it's not terrible. It's trying no. to do interesting things. It's just they're not especially memorable characters. Yeah. Well, that's why I was so surprised, Dalton, when you said. I'm glad Dix cared about this one because I don't get that impression. You don't I get think? That, I do no. that he cared about the story and the characters, but he doesn't yes. manage to give the characters that sort of personality and backstory that That's Hope did it. so incredibly well. That's it. Even without that, though, I cared about them. Oh. Cotton and Stubbs? Good. There are a couple in my yes. head. Yeah. Yes. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Like, oh, God, they are on the screen, too. Yeah. It's just there are a couple. And when They're... Stubbs dies on screen, it yeah. is really affecting. Yeah, because those so, actors are stupid. And even Jaeger, his his kind of bumbling fuck upness. It's like, yeah, I get that person. I totally yeah. get that person that just wants to succeed and wants to like be the best, but th- they're not. They're not. He gets the best advert of the entire <laughs> book. I've never read this before. Uh-huh. Your regime should give him plenty of scope," said Jaeger. Waspishly. That is hard to say with a list, Waspishly. but it's still yes. a really good advert. <laughs> Does that mean he's a wide-angle sense and process? I'd never read it before, and yet I felt like I immediately angle. understood yes. the delivery. That's yeah. Awesome. It made me very happy. Yeah. Yeah. It's very stinging. It's very... Yeah. And the thing that gets me about Jaeger, the doctor tries to kill him twice and manages to succeed the second time. Yeah. <laughs> Not very doctorly, is it? No, it really isn't. It's it's very odd that the doctor's kind of like, oh god, you're you're too stupid to live. You're too stupid. Just yeah, put your face here. Put your face here. <laughs> he gets blown across the room. When I watched it the first time, I thought Jaeger died at that moment, and then I remember from the book, oh wait, no, he's still alive until later when he when he does it a second time. A second time. It's like he, he doesn't really learn. Is too stupid to live. Can we talk about the marshal's pervy little BDSM office? Oh, can we? 
Absolutely. There was a heavy metal rail set into the wall of the marshal's office. It had been used for securing prisoners before. And now Joe, Kai, Stubbs, and Cotton, our our youngest, hottest characters here, were fastened to it, their hands pressed one each side to the rail behind their backs and handcuffed together. Mm -hmm. They stood at an awkward, uncomfortable line as the marshal passed before them like someone viewing a parade. A parade of pert backsides, if you ask me. And, uh... (laughs) Let's see here. Further down yeah. here, we've got... The marshal some- definitely killed uh, animals as a child. I'm sure. Oh, yeah, absolutely. There probably weren't any animals on Earth, and he hunted them down to do so. Yes. He's Donald Trump Jr. as well. Once he had recovered from his surprise, it didn't take the doctor long to deal with his captor. He wriggled his lean body, twisting, found a grip on his opponent's thick wrist, bent double and heave, which is a significantly sexier description of Pertwee than we generally get. Yes. Oh, speaking of John I just wasn't expecting it to go in that direction. Yes. Speaking of hot Pertwees, the movie festival that I went to this uh, past weekend, who's a box of horrors, had not only dog soldiers, which has Sean Pertwee in it, it was a sci-fi channel movie of all things, but also Event Horizon, which also features Sean Pertwee. Can't do that movie. That movie is hard to watch, even with a group of people at twelve thirty in the morning on Saturday. I'm trying to remember. I recognize the name. Event Horizon, <sighs> the the hell ship in space. It's basically Lovecraft in space. Okay, I've not it's seen that. Absolutely terrible. Five minutes later, nothing like that happens in the <laughs> mutants. No. And if you want to find out what we've been talking about, wait until after the credits and you can hear our discussion of Event Horizon. List of films Allison will not be renting this weekend. No, No, she will not. Nor will she be watching um, The Mutants, probably. Oh, by the way, if you happen to watch Star Wars again. Which one? Which I was... The uh, episode four, A New Hope. A New Hope. And you find um, when Luke is in the hangar and his friend from home runs up to him. Mm -hmm. Yeah, Yeah. That actor is Kai. Huh. That actor is someone else, too. Well, no, yes. he, he's the same guy, yes. but he's been pointed out to me before as, oh, that's the guy in some other thing. Yes, other he's a Canadian actor. Um, he was doing a very good British accent as Kai, but yeah, he's he's quite the looker, that one. I'm sorry. <laughs> that's okay. The uh, Beverly Cleary uh, trilogy, um, The Mouse and the Motorcycle, Ralph S. Mouse, and one where Ralph goes to camp, there is mm-hmm. a golden hamster who's very snooty and self-satisfied. Golden hamster. And he says, <laughs> I am a golden hamster. I am clean, intelligent, and alert. <laughs> oh, really? Oh God. That is what that reminded me of. <laughs> golden hamster, Trump's golden showers. Yeah, it all comes back to that. And to the satanic verses. Do you mind if we talk a bit about Dick's uh, prose style, because we, we've been spending a lot of time on the story, and technically that's Bob Baker and Dave Mark. Right. And what Dix does with the story is he really does just cut it down to the bare bones, because you, I know you hate running around in corridors and caves and all we've that. We've had a pretty good break from it during the Pertwee era. Yeah. Uh, the Mutants is not a break. From it, in fact, ooh. it's still not nearly as as relentless as it's been in the past. No, I'm sorry, I'm drinking an old style right after having had that, and the difference is night and day. It's like drinking beer flavored water. It's kind of weird, but I'll still drink it. So <laughs> it was free to you. Yeah, exactly, exactly. and I appreciate that. So thank you. I really do. I talked last time about how the doctor. I'm sorry, the master is. Uh, so many writers do well making the master 
sadistic and funny in mm-hmm. a way that's not queasy but actually funny. Yeah, yeah. Oh. And uh, have a little bit of that here with the marshal. Certainly, my dear. I say, what? Sorry, what about a trial? Joe asks. Certainly, my dear. The marshal walked along the line of prisoners once more. <laughs> Stubbs, treason. Cotton, treason. Kai, conspiracy, tab- sabotage, terrorism. Kai smiled ironically. The marshal came to a halt before Joe and sighed. And you, Miss Grant, such a pity. And <laughs> this is a person who's been hunting humans earlier, uh, and yet somehow that is kind of funny. Yeah, so, it really so is. I feel like Dix has a lot of good humor like that in and, this story. And yet, again, that's Bob Baker and Dave Martin. Mm. Yeah, that's in the original script. So when uh, he hasn't changed much of the dialogue at all. In fact, there's I, I have actually found very few true changes at all which is except for the the, the depiction of solos as jungle based mm. because it doesn't seem like that on screen mm. it just looks like a quarry that's been pumped full of uh you know um um what do you call it fog i thought it was very evocative to describe a tropical environment where you have trouble breathing yeah. because the humidity is so yeah. high yes. i really like that yeah i, I, felt I, I really like that in a more nightmarish yes. way yes and I was thinking the reason why the Salonians have to <laughs> Salonians have to evolve into that creature that they do is probably because summer for them takes the planet really close to the sun, and that's the only way they can survive. Yeah. Whereas spring, they can survive in the humanoid form because it's not it's, so bad. Yeah, it's, it's well temperate, temperate compared. <laughs> that's exactly it. It's temperate, so it's more like our world. Whereas fall would be. I don't know, something that you could deal with rotting uh, animal matter and plant matter because it would be going through a long cycle of decay into winter. And then winter is probably when they're too far away and they're probably more, I don't know, what can survive in winter best? Probably something, not a lizard. Unless it's a nice warrior lizard. No. Because of that weird... But if, the, yeah, if their if they're final form... Is, you haven't seen my final form! If their final form is that <laughs> celestial thing, then... Yeah. But is it their final form? It's just the form for summer. That's the form for summer? I guess. That's that's what it seems to be. Like the whole airy thing, prince? Well, it seems like it's all cyclical. <laughs> yeah. you know, so. I, I'm not buying the cyclical evolution thing. I'm having but... trouble wrapping my head around it. Is what's... Yeah, and it may very well be that this is their ultimate form, except they have said the planet has 500-year seasons. The planet can't be just 2,000 years old. No. Or even fifteen hundred. But also, how long is their life cycle? Yeah. Well, that's the other thing. That's why I was having trouble with the five hundred years, and they're forgetting what happened five hundred years ago. Because even barbarians would keep records of some sort. Yeah, but also they were deliberately destroyed by this regime. That's true. But they don't have them until. Well, Kai remembers. Depending that. on how much their oral tradition has been disrupted or True. interrupted. But I thought that the lives with the, the yeah. Time Lords were sending were records of this that they had lost. Oh, yeah, that's a point. Or yeah. if the Time Lords are beginning the cycle by sending them oh, here. Oh, God, yeah. It's just, oh. Lots of questions and not very many answers. No, not really. Not really. But. <laughs> I do find it interesting now that I'm reading the next book, which also happens to be Terrence Dix, by the way. In fact, the next two are. He's very fond of his parentheticals. He likes saying, by the way, off to this side, this was happening, but nobody noticed it. You notice it, though, because you're reading this scene. 
and then you go back to the other side with the uh, in the background. <laughs> yes, exactly. With Rand's son playing with the playing with the murder weapon in plain sight in the conference room, which is a hilarious thing <clears throat> in the uh, televised version. The secret word is <clears throat> dart gun. <laughs> yes, exactly. I thought it was just going to be burp. But... <laughs> Yeah, good lord. Um, I'm looking at my notes to see. Oh, by the way, Joe, what do we think of Joe? We we're doing our Joe check. We did our Joe. Definitely <laughs> this is our Joe check. I need a vibe check. Uh, this is our Joe check. Definitely uh, assertive personality, but definitely back to being a professional hostage to yeah. the point where I thought they were playing it for laughs. Yeah, two a steps forward, one step back. A little bit. Yeah, yeah. It doesn't seem like Bob Baker and Dave Martin know how to write her quite as well. And a weird emphasis on her being petite. I think she was initially described as pocket size, which I thought yeah. was kind of funny. Pocket but then half a dozen times it's mentioned she's small, she's tiny, she wriggles through the hole. That it felt like a bit of guilt of yes, we know it's stupid. She keeps getting taken hostage. Look, she's really small. She's, <laughs> yeah, yeah and there's, you put her in your pocket. There's the you, there's the line. You Cotton can't says, help but take her hostage. <laughs> Stubbs says and she's no more than a kid. No more than a kid. It's like a very tiny kid. She's invisible to the naked eye. Right. You'll trot her under your shoe. She's going through an evolution of her own. Yes, exactly. It's Planet of the Jungle. It's all over again. Um, No, I I think in the beginning, when she kind of rushes into the TARDIS to come along with the Doctor, it it felt like she was going to have a lot to do, or she was going to at least be, you know, kind of a go-getter. And then there really wasn't much else for her to do in the story. Well, she does release herself from the handcuffs. Yes. But other than that, even in the story itself, like... She gets lost in the caves. Yeah. Which helps them find Sondergaard, but she got lost in the caves to find him. Yeah. So he really found her. Exactly. So damsel in distress. Yeah. There, there's a weird um, unevenness about the way the doctor treats her over many stories where sometimes he's incredibly condescending and even demeaning and talks to her like a child. Mm-hmm. And then here, she, and theoretically a military organization as his assistant, basically advises him to go to hell and runs into the TARDIS against explicit <laughs> instructions. Yes. Well, she just runs in. And, like, he doesn't even make a comment at no. all. So there is kind of a, being a little bit persnickety here, but there is something about the dynamic of their relationship that keeps going back and forth and how it is written as to whether or not it is more hierarchical. You know, they are are members of unit. She is Mm -hmm. junior to him. She is assigned to be his assistant. Uh, He is very self-important, et cetera. Mm. And there's this idea that she is, you know, sort of coming into her own as well and making more judgment calls. And sometimes he's fine with, it's just, it should be more of an evolution, but it's just coming off as inconsistent. Yeah, well, yeah. instead of a dynamic well, finding in, in itself. The yeah. beginning, he's worried about, it's dangerous. It's any more dangerous than the other things we've dealt with he's here on Earth? Along with. Yeah, <laughs> precisely. Well, that and bearing in mind something that we seem to always forget about Doctor Who in this era. It seems like it's modern Doctor Who, but it's not because mm. it doesn't have that sort of character development or character yeah. arcs in the same way. Now, she does end up having one, as it turns out. It's not terribly satisfying how she gets there. Um, but yeah, it's not anywhere near, say, for example, 
Rose Tyler learning to be more than just a mm. shop girl who likes chips and lives her day year of her life from day to day. She becomes, you know, defender of the earth in another dimension, which is I know it's insane, but it's kind of it's kind no, of neat too. The, the first episode I saw was the the first of that two parter. Oh yeah. Oh, <laughs> I'm just thinking. Yeah. I saw the end of Rose. Oh yeah, you sure did. So, well, if whenever you see the beginning, you'll see. The no, I've seen oh, the yeah. beginning. You've I've gone back it. and seen it. But yeah, and that was my that was my end. There's too. a progression. But for the yes. last twenty five, depending on what shows, up to thirty years, we do expect that. We do. We, we do. So we, we expect character development arc throughout dramatic series. Only a sitcom on sitcoms do characters stay static, and right. even, even now, many sitcoms are quite sophisticated. Yeah. Hell, even reality TV has character arcs. True. Now. Doctor Who at this era didn't really, and if anything, and as we are going to see, arguably almost no dramas did. Well, the other difficulty with Doctor Who in this era, as we're going to see, is that the characters if um, don't tend to evolve; they tend to devolve. They they sometimes and I wrote a, I wrote an academic paper about this once that the next two companions I argued came in much weaker than they started and that was because the very nature of the show introduces you to a strong female character and it's like oh no you can't have that strong female character you either have to get rid of her like Liz Shaw or you have to start off with somebody who's meant to be secondary, like Joe Grant, who has these moments of greatness. Mm. And the moments of greatness are what we're seeing as character mm. development. And actually, mm. I hate to say it, but they're the aberrations. Mm. I, I, yeah. And it's really just that, you know... Well, my frustration Katie, over and over with Vicky. She's finally coming into her own, but yes, no, that was it. That exactly. Was it. Yeah. And again, you've got a really good actress. You've got Maureen O'Brien there. You've got Katie Manning here, who are just selling you would have to like Joe. And we're getting her on the page, so it's a different version of her to some degree. But yeah, what we're reading as character development isn't anywhere near what we know as character development. Mm-hmm. So yeah, but we still need to do our Joe checks. Yeah. Yeah, because we're going to be, you know, getting her for at least... more stories? Six? Got six more stories with her. So enjoy her while she lasts. Yeah, I mean... I enjoy her even when she is being a damsel, but mm-hmm. it, it's... Oh, I do too. In fact, I have to say, and this is for anybody who um, accuses this broadcast, this podcast of being too negative at times, fuck you, because <laughs> I have gained a much greater appreciate, appreciation. Where did <laughs> that Louisiana come coming out? Oh, God, shut up. That is his final uh, form. Pre- shut up. Fuck <laughs> 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 No, he's, that's what, he's, de- he's devolving. That's what it is. <laughs> Chapping my ass. That's what you're doing. Uh, don't give me a case of the red ass. Anyway, you invite us. You unlock the door. You feed us pizza, and then you, yeah, you fuck me over. Okay, let me let me say what I was gonna say. That I have come to a better appreciation of Joe Grant from reading these books. Yeah, and from watching the episodes because when you do them in order, it's like, uh huh, I see where this is going. So. Yeah. What else are we going to talk about? The marshal's got a private exit, a hidden door behind his desk. <laughs> of course it does. That's that's almost uh yeah, that's almost biological, isn't it? Oh, for Christ's sake! What are you moving this time of night? Oh, oh, oh! There was something I wanted to point out. This whole business of turning the box inside out. 
Mm. And the doctor's saying if we get this wrong, it could cause an antimatter explosion and we'll be unpeople doing yes. un things together. Yes. yes. And Pertwee loves that wine, and people tend to think of it as a terrible wine, but I think it's just. Oh, I thought it was delightful. It's just silly. Yeah, it's it really just silly. Is. It's supposed to be silly, and people shouldn't take offense to that. And then the writer, Paul Mars, later uh, wrote a short story uh, with the fourth doctor meeting. The other character that Katie Manning is well known as, the renegade time lady, Iris Wildtime. <laughs> I know. And who her I... disreputable house of hospitality. Well, yeah, it just, uh, that character has always struck me as a gay man's Mary Sue of a time lord. Hmm. Essentially that. Because she claims to have these same adventures as the Doctor, but they've got this very, you know, fabulous edge to them because hmm. she's just this adorable old lady. But the, the the fourth doctor gets drunk with her, because the fourth doctor can. And he remembers this scene and accuses his previous self of hubris, because bringing everything on the inside of the box out would mean putting everything outside the entire universe into it, which is why it almost explodes a couple of times. But the third mm -hmm. doctor is not all that interested. In fact, you could even argue he was not that big of trying. He's just trying to blow... Jaeger's face off. Yeah, he's just trying to mess with Jaeger. Yeah. Oh. I like his disclaimer. Um, I must ask you to forget anything I may have said or implied up to now. <laughs> yeah, I, I wish I could say that to my students. I bet it's just a contractual clause. Yeah, I wish I could do that. I wasn't myself. Um, Dix is very good with his visuals. The Cave of Light sounds beautiful. Mm -hmm. It's not beautiful on screen. It's just a shoddy CSO effect. It's blue screen. It's, it's shitty and terrible. Sondergaard simply jumps into the plot fully formed. And that's the, the one thing I really don't like about the story. Sondergaard's just there all of a sudden when they need him. And like in episode four, it's like, we need the character for this. Oh, let's make somebody up. He's yeah. been there the whole time. It's like, what? Like the others on the other side of the island in uh, Lost. Hmm. It's like, where the fuck do they come from? Oh, that's been there the whole time. This is a dick functionary. Yeah, They're in exactly. the upside down. It's okay. Yeah, precisely. Uh, da, 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 da. So much running around. Pract he's an expert in practically everything. The doctor's cough when Jaeger says he's a scientist. He gives us a little cough. Yeah. <clears throat> Just like, like that. that. Just yeah. like that. And... <laughs> Yeah. When I cough, you cough. Yeah, Just I'm like sorry. that. <laughs> and of course, conscientious. So yeah. And the face in the cave, the the thing, the fact that this crystal is almost sentient. Yeah, there's so many things that's new, and he could have explained it, but he doesn't. Seeing the face in it just reminded me of the from baby. Teletops. Yes, the baby face from Teletops. <laughs> Just like cooing and laughing, yes. like you found me. You found me. Take me to my people and let me evolve them. I'll save the day. Oh my god! So it's hard to believe that this story has what was up to that moment the most technically difficult shot ever pulled off. Huh. On, on this show, or this on show, television? this show. Uh, but I think also BBC hadn't done this before. There are actually, there's a shot that is four layers, like four different shots put together. And one is special effects shot. The other is Kai and his woo form. 
Um, you've got the marshal in the foreground, and you have the, the laboratory as the background. And it's when he destroys them in the blast of light. Hmm. That took four layers of effects work. The most complex layered shot the BBC had poured to date. Exactly. Oh. Very, More yeah. content. Jaeger shot, yes, exactly. Yes. Oh, dear Lord, thank you. That was actually quite good. <laughs> uh-huh. I can't think of anything else to say, can you? Uh, I feel we have plumbed. Maser beam. Maser beam. What's a maser? Uh, who knows? Who, who, who? I... I the, the first instance of it, I thought it was a typo. And then it happened like five more times. Yeah. Well, let's see if we can figure it out. Uh, let's see, because a laser would be what? Light activated, uh, light activated, stimulated, light active, stimulated, uh, elect- electro something ray, I think. I think, yeah, I know it's an acronym of something, but maser. I think I've only heard it in this story. I think it actually is something, but I couldn't tell you what. A device using the stimulated emission of radiation by excited atoms to amplify or generate coherent monochromatic electromagnetic radiation in the microwave range. Oh my god, it's a real thing. Hmm. Yeah. This is from Google. Wow. Um, And Google knows everything. It's real. There's a whole Wikipedia article and everything, and there are pictures. Well, you know it's real. No, yeah, like, there's pictures on the internet. It has references. And references um, on the internet. Yeah. There's actually <laughs> so, no There's a video. Wait. He's just a composite character Dalton and I created. This is true. Wait, that's why I the dreamer so and you're the dream? Or are we dreaming of each other? And Well, if, if, if I'm the dream, the you're having a nightmare. <laughs> you're having a very gassy nightmare. You should stop <laughs> eating before you go to bed. <laughs> Because you're burping and farting and you're incorporating it into your dream now. Yeah. Um, Maser, that's interesting. Maser. Yeah. I, that is interesting. I thought it was a typo on it. Was, no, that thing, actually so. is real science then because they were trying to do some radioactive stimulation there. Yeah. And that's exactly what happened. Um, oh, God. I, I did want to talk about this. The decompression scene in this... In this, we, oh we have, yes, because we had when just he been, shoots to the wall. Yes, when we had just been talking. I know with the gun, we had just been talking oh, about. Yeah, yeah. yeah, we'd just been talking about um, Event Horizon and that decompression scene that scares me so. And when I was a kid reading this, I was like, oh, oh, because that really sounded frightening. He get on screen. He's layered against a CSO background mm. effect, which looks awful. And, and a wind being... machine? No, there's no wind machine. There's no wind machine? No, no. They're not being pulled towards the hole. They're just kind of laying on the floor in this human <laughs> chain. And it's like, it just sounds like, it looks like, a, it looks like a gangbang gone wrong. <laughs> it's like, oh, God. they Someone fell over when they were in the middle of a daisy chain. Now they can't get up because they replaced the lube with super glue. Uh, and they're all stuck together. Their hips just yeah. Putting this at the end of the Halloween section as well, or is it for free mm, in the middle? No, this is for free, and you're welcome. Yes. So I thought it was all metaphorical about how. <laughs> Did I get back to the PG thirteen realm? Um, I thought it was more metaphorical about must. how he's uh, the marshal is so determined to. Retain total control at any price. He's blowing up his own center of power, which is his station. Yeah, because he's not going to be nearly that powerful down on the planet surface. No, definitely not. Yeah, well, we've been making 
we've been trying not to make Trump comparisons this whole time because it's kind of unfair to say, yeah, reading it through the mirror. I don't really see focus. Oh, I definitely see it because he's loud, he's blustering, he refuses to admit. Careless, he refuses to admit when he's wrong. But he does. He he lies whenever his mouth is moving. Some kind of strategy and self-discipline. No, he doesn't. He has no self-control. In mm. fact, Stubbs and Cotton, the first thing mm. that they tell us about him is, he's gone crazy. Look, he's mm. even dropped his mask. Mm. He's willing to kill mutts okay. and so terrifyingly out of control that he isn't even thinking about his own self-care. Mm. That strikes me as very chunky. No, act now, figure out how to cover it up later. Figure out mm. how to spin it. Yeah. Figure out how to... You know, Which he does. Cover your tracks. When the when the investigator comes. Yeah. And the only thing that screws him over is the fact that the doctor and Joe are there, but then the mutt comes in and he's like, you see, you see, I was right, I was right. Fake news, fake news. Mm-hmm. And then it ends up reversing again. When Sondergaard comes in. When Sondergaard yeah. comes in. But it's like, oh, dear God. Anyway. Yeah. Um... Are we ready for Goodreads? Um, let me look through and see if I have anything else that I... And I'll yeah. screenshot. Okay, and we have not Ash. even broken into this lovely bag of candy. Oh, I, I had one. Here, oh, you had one? Uh, just eat it real quick. Yeah. Um, genocide as a side effect. Yeah. Yes. That I love a, that. That was a good Your line. <laughs> a medication commercial. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Um, Could result in genocide, sterility, baldness, and death. Well, especially when you think... Yeah, I remember when Jenny said something like that on one of our podcasts. But yeah, the, that whole concept of you get what you want, you're going to pacify the village, but it's necessary to destroy it in order to do it. Sure. Right. So you've achieved everything you wanted to do, but the, the cost is ridiculous. Yeah, but, but again... The marshal doesn't care. No, he has. He has, He gives no fucks. No, not at all. And you notice something. And not in a cool honey badger way. Not yes, in a but cool in a honey kill them all way. Yes. You also notice something else that it's. God, Those are just growl. mutants growling oh, in yeah, the tunnels. I know. Um, well, now I can't cut it out. Um, <laughs> you notice that it's with John Pertwee that we get what we would call a doctorish doctor. That the traits of a later doctor where he cares about life above mm-hmm. all else, it's the Purdue yeah. doctor because... But not always. Not he always. about two-thirds of the time. But most of the time. More, much yes. more so than the yes. Trouton doctor, who we realize yes. is kind of a butcher was, in yes. disguise. Oh Indeed. <laughs> and the first doctor who's like, you know, as long as I'm... as. As long as I'm fine, you do you. Right. Don't do bother me. I'm going to do my stuff. I'm going to smoke my pipe until... The cavemen scare me out of doing it. I don't care about them. Fuck them. Yeah, that's so removed from the third dog. Unless it's Jaeger. A booby trap. And you were the booby. Yes, exactly. Huh? Hartnell Doctor is arguably a very selfish dog. Oh, extremely. Yeah. Those Reese's pieces are lovely. Have more, please. I will. Um, Let's see. Talk about that. No. What are you doing? Did it run out of power? No, my computer's been doing this thing where it just randomly shuts off. Oh, no. It's not good. It's mm. almost 10 years old. Either way, I feel like we got most of most of it. There was another line that I had highlighted about um, population control through changing the atmosphere. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Kind of this, yeah. this idea of keeping the 
the population of the, the natives down by f- destroying their ecosystem. Yeah. I'm, which, I'm kind of surprised that the anti-climate change folks haven't come up with something like that and said something along the lines of, well, the planet getting hotter, if it is, that's something that has to happen for humankind. And, well, anti-climate change people, the pro-climate change people, not what am I saying, the anti-climate change people just want us to clean up the air so that we'll all burn to death from the sun. It's like, uh, yeah, I know. That's my, a, my whole thing, people that worry about climate change, we're destroying the earth. It's like, no, the earth will survive. The earth is going to kill us. Yes. yes. For selfish reasons, I don't want to die. Right. Uh-huh. I don't want to die. The, the earth is going to live. The earth is going to sustain. It will do what it needs to do to take us out because we are the thing that is hurting it. Yeah. Come to think of it, um, one one of the previews that they played at Music Marks of Horrors mm. was that commercial from a long time ago about the trees all dying, so the planet ends up being barren and everybody dies, and it's a grandpa and his granddaughter out on the surface, and she says, I wish I could bring back the trees for you. And when he lifts her up in his arms, you see they're both wearing ventilators. <gasps> it is the most terrifying mm. commercial I've ever seen, yeah, and it's about, it's not quite climate change, but it is... Terrifying. Yeah. It's basically what the Marshall wants for the Salonians, but for Earth, Earthers, it would be fine. Yeah. Awesome. I need to take a break. Yes. Okay. Sure. Yeah. I think that was one of the last things I had, though. Was, yeah. Okay. It's Let me use the atmosphere. Then I will pause the recording. All right. So, are we ready for Goodreads? Is Goodreads ready for us? Probably not. It never is. As we always do, let's go to goodreads.com for online reviews of the book written by other readers, then follow up with our own ratings. By the way, if you're listening to this podcast and want to have your review featured when we get to an upcoming book or you simply have a question about it, simply read the book, write a review or comment in our new Goodreads group, it's not new anymore, by the deadline so that we have a chance to see it here before discussing the book ourselves. You may just get your review read out loud here. No one, but nobody wrote anything in our Goodreads group about this book, which tells you something. The average rating for this book on Goodreads out of five stars is a surprising 3.36. Nicholas White, who's got his own um, blog for reviews, so I rarely quote him because his reviews are very long, gives this one a surprisingly short review without a rating. He says, I retain an affection for this book, even though the TV original is quite possibly the worst Pertwee story. (laughs) Somehow the anti-colonial politics comes through both more clearly and more subtly, and we're spared the dodgy special effects and atrocious acting, one where the page is way better than the screen. It's interesting because often tell us about the stellar classical actors who appear in these episodes. Yeah, not in this This is not one. Okay. This is not Fair one. Enough. I mean, there is a very good actor in it, but he's playing Jaeger, and it doesn't work as well as you think. And he bombs. And then it isn't. Um, also, the music is bad. I hadn't mentioned that before, but... It's too bad. Yeah, it's another electronic score, and it's just all over the place. Arguably, only Vangelis has ever done a good electronic score. I don't know about that. We haven't gotten the 80s Doctor Who yet. Daniel Kukwa gives it three stars and says a solid Terrence Dix effort that takes an overly rambling, occasionally ludicrous TV story and transforms it into a tighter, slightly less ludicrous novelization. The novel's cover, however, is easily one of the best pieces of Doctor Who art ever painted. That's a painting. 
I always thought it was a photo. Because the mutant looks exactly as they do on screen. That is a painting. And it is pretty good. Yeah. And finally, Stormhawk also gives it three stars, saying, Heavy-handed, but entertaining tale of the worst of colonization. The Doctor did take remarkably well to being used as an errand boy, but I suppose any excuse for a drive will do. Yeah. That's the whole review. Yeah. I actually like that sentence, yeah. Yeah. So... What were your opinions? Dalton out of five stars, what would you give this? I'm going to agree with Daniel and Stormhawk. I was thinking a three. As much as, like, I enjoyed it. Mm-hmm. It is not perfect. Right. I enjoyed it. So I would, I, yeah, I would give it three stars. It's it's kind of a workmanly effort, but, yeah, you get the themes of what is going on. There's enough, for me, there's enough characterization right. for the secondary characters. Uh, again, Stubbs and Cotton are a ship. <laughs> they're they're together in my head. They're sailing off together. Yes, yeah, come sail away. Um, yeah, three stars for me. It, I I enjoyed this. It it is getting cool, so it wasn't a nice beach read, but it was a nice couch read. read. It was a fun. Read. <laughs> yes. Okay. You can still read on the beach. You just have to bring a light jacket. Yeah. You do, Allison. I'm gonna go two point five, which is my standard. Oh, I enjoyed that. Mm-hmm. Nothing terrible, but not like one of my all time favorites either. Mm-hmm. I thought it did interesting things with the historical themes. It had some very funny dialogue and humor moments, but I thought the characters themselves were overall pretty thin, and the one-off characters were pretty forgettable. Okay. And believe it or not, I'm going to agree with Allison on this one, because I also gave it a 2.5. Normally he thinks my opinions are garbage. I usually do. (laughs) However, in this case, no, no. But he brings us pizza, so it's okay. And she never lets me finish the sentence. Normally... (laughs) It's 2.5 in this case. What I'm paid for. Yep. (laughs) And that pay will go down accordingly. (laughs) 2.5 stars, mainly because of the following reasons, which I will finally get to. The The book does very accurately depict the story, but that's the problem. The TV story is about as thin as really bad toilet paper. And just rubs you the no, wrong not way. No, not waxy. Yeah, does, well, it doesn't rub you the wrong way. It kind of leaves a scar and a stain afterwards and <laughs> just really hurts at times. And it has so much promise, so much more. And just like the televised version of Claws of Axos, which Trey Corte loved, I myself hate that, but I love the book. The book actually mm-hmm. works here. The book works only because I read the book first. When I saw the story, I was like, Jesus. No wonder I thought there wasn't much to the story. There really isn't too much to the story, and there's a lot of... There's so much potential here. I just want... it. It's like looking at a student's paper, and you realize that they write pretty well, but their ideas are just schlocky, and they haven't said anything new, but they... It's too broad. It's just too broad, and it's like, God damn it. And six episodes of this, imagine that. That's the one thing this book has going for it. It is a distillation of six long episodes, which I didn't even bother to rewatch. The space station has a lot of hallways. It does, and Solos has a lot of caves. I wonder if it would have been, when it first aired, the somewhat electrifying just for the themes, just because it was so current? Oh, I'm certain. I'm certain that at the time it came out, probably... There were reviewers in the Daily Mirror who were like, oh my god, this is socialism or something. I don't know. 
but yeah, it's never been highly regarded as a story, and as a novelization, it's Drew and the mutants, and that's all we can say about it. So, thank you guys, and thank you, fellow time travelers, for giving us your valuable time, and this time we really mean it. And we need it next time, too. Next time, we discuss a later novelization by Taron Stix, The Time Monster. <clears throat> In the meantime, if you've liked what you've heard here, like us on Facebook, a Doctor Who Target Book Club podcast, or on Word with No Spaces. You can also visit our nearly pristine subreddit at reddit.com forward slash r forward slash dwtargetbc. Feel free to watch videos of our first five episodes. Give us a thumbs up or comment at YouTube at youtube.com forward slash user forward slash emperor forward slash videos. Follow us on Twitter. We're at DWTargetBC. Or subscribe to us via the podcast provider of your choice, including Spotify. If all else fails you, and it usually does, email us at DWTargetBC at gmail.com. Please do sign up for Patreon for us because the Halloween episode, which we are about to record is going to be patreon only for the next 12 months so if you want to find out what we did with the book doctor then we're gonna have to pay all right our new theme by aaron s is available on his youtube channel there goes a pg-13 rating at tinyurl forwards.com forward slash y32b8f55 along with many many others give him a follow and a thumbs up thank you so much for listening and enjoy your travels bye bye five minutes later I've had I love it. I had a horrible nightmare about it after watching it and now it, it's just like scarred me. Yeah. I think this is one of these movies I read about at the time, was really interested in, but just couldn't need to stop yes. making horror movies I'm interested in. Like yeah. Midsummer I kept reading about I was so interested, but I just can't from the stuff no. I was reading about. Lawrence Fishburne. Yep, Sam Neill, Lawrence Fishburne. Um, I don't um, remember who plays his wife. What's oh god? Oh wait, that's right. She was someone famous too. But Joelle Richardson's in it. Um, Sean Pertwee obviously is in it. Um, also, yeah, it is. Oh, it gets even better too. Kathleen Quinlan is in it. It's well done, but it's really good. Extremely disturbing. So disturbing, so gory, and yet if you can. stomach it, which is very difficult to do. It's just glorious filmmaking. It's just a beautiful movie, even when it's, you know, splattering gore everywhere. It's just a visual treat, and the weird thing was, I'm sorry guys, I know we're off the sidebar well, completely at this bar, but... <laughs> yeah, um, this is a quality content you pay for. I had not seen it on the big screen since its original release in 1997. And the audience reacted exactly mm. the same way, beat for beat, as they did in 1997. Mm. I mean, there there are problems with it. That movie has that that movie never not a jump scare. It didn't like. There are some jump scares where there shouldn't be any, and yet. But you didn't see it coming. Yeah, you it shouldn't didn't have see been, it, it shouldn't have been there. You should. Oh God! There was somebody in the back of the theater who yelped every time there was a jump scare. <laughs> and it's like, oh, you poor thing. And that person thought it would be fun to go to a twenty-four hour horror movie Apparently, marathon. They probably left right after that. I have that movie somewhere here in Blu-ray. We should watch it sometime. No.
<laughs> for real. It, <laughs> well, we got to show it. To I'll Alex explain. And... I will explain to you later why okay. I can't watch I it. I think I know but... why actually, but we'll 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 show it to Alex. At some point. And I'll tell yeah. him when she can turn away. Now, why did I bring that up? Well, you never know what's going to hit you, like in terms of horrifying things. So, yeah. the my big early traumatic. I was too young to see that movie was Last of the Mohicans. Oh, and I was totally fine with the cutting out of the human heart. Oh, wow. I mean, I wasn't like cool <laughs> with it, but I'm like, oh wow, that's troubling. An appropriate, humor in context way. Uh, the <coughs> British soldier set on fire at the end. Too much. Oh God! Then you yeah. really would not have. Right. You wouldn't be able to do this movie. No. There are just certain kinds. That ad- one apparition. Just, yeah, just. Uh, that Lawrence Fishburne's character sees constantly. You know what I'm going to do? I'm going to cut this out and put it at the end of the episode because it's a good discussion. We should keep it in there. Cool. Yeah. I have more film. I, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Other than the Lovecraftian, insane, yeah. like yeah. shit that also well, in terms of how will things hit you that hit you in a profoundly personal yes. way yes yes I, I, I will cut that <laughs> even from the post credits oh I don't no the thing um, the, the two things that trigger me in that movie are the um, decompression scene which I can never deal with decompression the idea of not even non-explosive decompression in space just terrifies me the idea of being exposed to that and that happens to the one character and the other one is when they clean up the log file and find out what happened to them after they pass through this portal. Oh, when they show and the video, see the video, yeah. And what I read I remember later that. that that's the calm down version. That originally the film was rated NC seventeen because there was more to that, and it was more graphic, and you could see more of what was happening. You you're not like, selling Jesus. this movie at all. At this point, They're I, basically yeah. eviscerating never, each other. And eviscerating like, each other and fucking each other violently, and just, yeah, they basically go truly insane, and just, you know, they, they are literally in hell about it. Yeah. And when they find the ship, there, there are no bodies, but there's viscera everywhere, and you're like, shit. That haunts me. Yeah. The idea that these explorers are going out and they're trying to go where no man has gone before, and sadly they do. Yeah, and yeah, yeah. I that, love that movie. It's <laughs> it's interesting, but it's I I've always had this love of horror because of stuff like that. Mm-hmm. I like the psychology behind it, but I do not do well with the gore. I do not do well with the the graphic depictions of it. Yeah, gore I can handle. Psychological horror I have trouble with. So seeing that scene and just having the suggestion so I can, my head can fill in the rest, that's what I have problems with. Yeah. 